In the aftermath of yesterday's December CPI in the United States, it's the disinflationary CPI, we get more data last night and today, which continues to point in that same disinflationary, if not outright deflationary direction. Now, this is a situation where it seems like that's good news, that falling or receding consumer price pressures would be a very welcome relief from the plague of inflation over the last couple years. But this is one of those good news is actually bad news. But it's not one of those good news is actually bad news, which is good news situations like in the stock market where bad economic news is translated to mean, oh, the Fed's going to stop hiking rates and maybe cut rates. And that's a good thing because it's not really a good thing. So no, this is what should be good news is actually bad news because it represents the worst possible case. Number one, as with yesterday's consumer prices, as I said in the video detailing all that stuff yesterday, if you haven't seen that, check that out. Falling consumer prices are falling, not because Jay Powell wants to slow down the economy, just enough to initiate a soft landing from red hot recovery to a more stable, less inflation-y type situation. That's not what we're seeing here. And the data is pretty conclusive about what it is that's going on. And as it continues to pile up, it points in those very same directions. So we're gonna talk about trade. We're gonna talk about prices. I talked about yesterday the markets and what the markets are pricing. So we're gonna put the macroeconomic, the global macroeconomic background behind all these massive market inversions next. But first, I'm Jeff. This is your Dollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. If you're interested, Eurodollar University memberships are available on our website where we have exclusive video content, question and answer videos, uh, things like that where we really get into the background details, decoding curves, figuring out what we are missing in the monetary realm, all that kind of stuff. We also offer research subscriptions where we put this stuff into, first of all, a daily briefing. So you need to what you need to know about what's going on in the world, that's a, that's a research bundle at Markets Insider Pro with a couple other really good investment related products there, as well as my own deep dive analysis at Eurodollar University, where we do really do go deep into these topics and put them into the context of what's going on today and maybe what it's, what can tell us about what might happen tomorrow and beyond. All the information, eurodollar.university. So yesterday's CPI for December was the third straight, which the markets took as confirming the the supply shock case, the disinflation side of the eventual, the predictable eventual supply shock. Um, today, we got the University of Michigan survey on consumers. I've talked about that before. Consumers are getting the same sense that everyone else's consumer price pressures are falling. Uh, just briefly, the University of Michigan's one-year expectation for consumer prices fell to 4.0% from, I believe, 4.4% in uh, December, this is the January number. That's the lowest since April of 2021. So consumers can see what's happening. The five-year consumer price expectation, University of Michigan, stuck at 3% where it's been really since the beginning here. Consumers never expected that consumer prices would get out of control and stay out of control. They always expected that they would go up and come down. As I've said before, that matches market pricing and tips other parts of the uh, treasury market, which have all said, whatever happens in the short run, the consumer prices, it was going to be transitory. 
Yesterday's December CPI continued to make that case. Today, I think even more important than the CPI in one respect, the BLS, the same folks who put together the CPI, they, they uh, published their import and export price indexes. So import prices rose 0.42% month over month, which was up 3.5% year over year. That's up a little bit from last month in the year over year, obviously 0.42% month over month, largely due to rising natural gas prices, not really an increase in demand. Um, and really, the one that we want to focus on here is U.S. export prices. U.S. export prices, they crashed. They, they collapsed by 2.64% month over month. So that was just December from November. And it was export prices have been down consistently, as have import prices, since June. So in the global trade arena, especially where it comes where it intersects with the United States and US demand, prices have been falling pretty steadily, especially export export prices uh, and import prices up until this month or December. Prices have been falling since June. There we see this again, a sharp response in price pressures based on a macroeconomic circumstance that has nothing to do with the Fed. And the fact that export prices from the United States are falling at such a sustained and heavy rate, they're actually down 9.2% um, since June. So, but it's not just about the U.S. That's what we're saying. Export prices, goods that are being sold, goods that are made here and then sold around the rest of the world. And a lot of what the U.S. exports is agriculture, and agricultural prices did fall from the U.S. The US export part of the index. Um, they were down 2.4% month over month in December. But it wasn't just agricultural prices. It was the prices of everything, especially non-agricultural prices, which fell 2.7% month over month in December. So major drops in export prices, which tell us what? That demand in the U.S., we already knew that was weak, but the, its demand around the rest of the world is coincidentally also falling off too, which isn't going to be Fed rate hikes. That's got to be something else. So we have U.S. CPI consumer prices going down since June, which is a reflection of U.S. demand softening, which we see in import prices except for December's natural gas. But it's also weakening demand around the rest of the world. Export prices falling as are trade numbers and as well as trade projections, which is the stuff we're going to get into. Let's let's do the trade numbers first. So U.S. exports demand weak from the rest of the world. We're going to turn to China because last night or early this morning, China time, the Chinese reported the General Administration of Customs there reported their own trade statistics, not prices, this time actual values of trade into and out of China. So exports out of China, so their proxy measure of global demand, fell 9.9% year over year. Again, this is by value, not by volume. They don't give us the volume numbers on an aggregate basis. For certain products they do, but 9.9% by value. And that's that means by volume, that's a pretty big drop, which of course I know everybody, that's just lockdowns, whatever the case may be, but you didn't see these kinds of value drops 
back when the when the ports were restricted and Shanghai was closed earlier this year. This is something different. And that something different extends, of course, to the United States. Exports to the U.S. were down 19.5% year-over-year in December. And that follows a 25% drop in November. Something big changed with regard to at least China's perspective of U.S. demand. U.S. demand seems to have fallen off a cliff. And again, these are value numbers. But it's not just the U.S. It's not just the U.S., Chinese exports to Europe tumbled by 17.5%. But I know, oh, that's the ECB, right? Hikes there. Not at all. Because Chinese imports, Chinese imports fell by 7.5% year over year. Again, by value. Imports from Europe. Europe is, uh, China is one of Europe's biggest trade customers, especially Germany. Imports from Europe down 13.5%. But they were up 43.4% imports from Russia. We know what that's all about. So outside of the geopolitics with regard to Ukraine, China, the U.S., all what we're seeing here is a serious decline in global demand for trade. Global demand for trade translates into global economic conditions because in many parts of the world, Global trade is absolutely crucial to marginal economic activity, especially demand. And the Chinese sit at the very center of this globally integrated economy, even though it's not as integrated as it was before and it continues to deglobalize in the long run, China is still the center of the trade universe. And what the Chinese are telling us through these statistics, as well as what we can see from our own statistics, on top of Europe, South America, and everybody else, is that global trade is beginning to suffer. And that's an issue, too, because I think many people, in fact, I know most people have a misperception about global trade's role in the economy and the recovery after 2020. First of all, this picture that there was a recovery, that it was red hot, and how could it not have been hot? The goods economy must have been absolutely red hot because of everybody shopping, the logistics, uh, the, the everything that we've been talking about over the last couple of years has been focused on, it seems, global trade. It must be red hot. So we're going to turn to some trade statistics now, broader trade statistics than individual countries. We're going to go to the WTO for these. And they're, they're updated through the end of the third quarter, which ended obviously last September. So we don't quite have the fourth quarter numbers where things really start to get dicey. We don't necessarily need them. And what you see when you look at the WTO trade data, they helpfully break down the differences between trade values and trade volumes. By value, it looks like the economy, the global economy experienced a wonderful renaissance from the 2020 lows. In fact, it was enough to maybe put the trade system back on, back on track of where it should have been after the 2008 recession, which wasn't a recession, which knocked global trade off and it had never recovered. So by global trade values, since this mess really began at the start of 2021, so going back to the first quarter of 2021, 
The WTO says exports, which is just the other side of imports, but total exports by value were up 25% to the third quarter of of last year. So start of 2021 or the, the, the first quarter of 2021 to the third quarter of 2022, 25% increase, which sounds tr- sounds like an absolute legitimate boom. But when you look at the WTO's data by volume, they're up only 4.8% in that same period. How can that be? Because it was a supply shock. That 4.8% increase in volume came at a time when ships could not be serviced at West Coast ports, various lockdowns in China, which did, which had a problem, logistical problems managing even that limited flow of goods. When you look at the volume statistics, what you really see is that not only did the global economy never really recover following 2020, that 2020 recession simply came after the 2018-2019 recession. So the global economic system, trade system in particular, never recovered from 2018 and 2019. Despite all this rhetoric about red hot inflation, economy, need to slam on the brakes and all that stuff from central banks, it never really happened. A minimal amount of volume increase was too much for restricted supply to handle, which simple economics shows us can only be reconciled by a wild increase in prices. Volumes did not increase all that much, did never recovered. Values made it seem like the economy was red hot when it never really was. But now we have a major problem because now the economy, after having suffered that supply shock and the supply imbalance, meaning price imbalance, but not only that, as I mentioned in the other video, showing how it was never inflation, this supply shock price effect redistributed a whole bunch of economic activity and resources in the most unproductive fashion. Shippers, record earnings on smaller volumes. Shippers are not going to be hiring millions of workers to continue the circulation throughout the economy. We talked about oil prices. We talked about Amazon.com, foreign overseas. Even those who have benefited from this redistribution and imbalance embedded in the supply shock, they're now saying things are reversing because at some point the economy was going to reach its maximum limit where it could not handle those price imbalances. And they are imbalances, not inflation. Lower volume, more prices, less actual recovery. It's a recipe for recession not the 1970s. More and more we continue to hear that from those who have benefited the most from the supply shock era, not just the Chinese in their November and now December export statistics, but also from shippers, the very companies who are moving all of these goods around, the very companies who have experienced this massive windfall in revenues and earnings, even though they haven't had to do all that much to get it. A uh, big one, I want to focus on Moller Maersk, the big Danish firm. You could look, it, it really doesn't matter. All the other shippers are saying the same thing. Um, but in light of the WTO cutting its world trade 
uh, estimates for next year. And they did. They cut them pretty substantially, uh, even though they're still optimistic. The WTO said that previously they said that global trade volumes would grow by a relatively unimpressive 3.4% in 2023 that was their previous estimate as of october they trimmed that down to plus one percent volume growth in 2023 but that contains an unusually wide variation what they're saying is volumes could grow as much as 4.6 percent if everything goes right but they also might fall 2.8 percent if things go wrong if things go more wrong than these econometric models anticipate currently, which, as we talked about with the World Bank's estimates and the IMF uh, previously, these people are always over-optimistic. And more and more, getting back to Moeller-Maersk, we're seeing that it's most likely to be the worst case, the minus 2.8% for trade, than any of the other cases. Moeller Mash said in their corporate earnings report at the beginning of November, so even before the stuff in November, December, ocean freight rates, which have driven the exceptional results we have delivered in 2022, remember the windfall, were up, were again up both year on year and compared to the second quarter. However, it is clear that freight rates have peaked and started to normalize during the quarter, driven by both decreasing demand and easing of supply chain congestion. So the end of the supply shock in both demand as well as supply. Back to Maersk, with the war in Ukraine, an energy crisis in Europe, high inflation, and a looming global recession, there are plenty of dark clouds on the horizon. This weighs on consumer purchasing power, which in turn impacts global transportation and logistics demand, which is why Maersk was hyping up their logistics business and saying, forget about ocean, transport's done. We've got major problems in transport because as Maersk CEO said on a early November interview with Bloomberg, Europe is close to entering recession and the U.S. is not far behind. He can see it within his trade business. Global trade, and remember where he started all this was in U.S. export prices, which along with what Maersk and all the other shippers are saying, warning about recession, shows that consumer price pressures, all of the supply chain stuff, the alleviation of pressures, is not about rate hikes, it's about recession. All of these things continue to point in that direction. And it also tells us that June last year was the peak, long before the Fed or the ECB or anybody else really got going with the rate hikes. The global economy slammed into the downside of the supply shock, and now we're seeing, now we're starting to see this weakness develop because it never was a recovery to begin with. And global trade is an important bellwether for the global economic condition because in many places, it's all about trade. Trade is an important indication for not just prices. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me as always. Huge thank you to Eurodollar University members as well as all the Eurodollar University and Markets Insider Pro research subscriber. I really do appreciate all that. And until next time, take care.